Welcome to C's for Creepy. My name is Elise. And my name's Courtney. Join us every week as we discuss our favorite true crime and paranormal stories. From A to Z. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of C is for Creepy. Thank you so much for listening to last week's episode. We loved seeing all the support and downloads from you guys. Yes. It's been awesome. Jumping right into it, what is our letter J? So this week, I'm going to go in a slightly different direction, and I'm going to be covering jewelry theft for my J. Okay. Yeah. I've uh, been covering some darker cases, so I'm going to switch it up a little bit, and I thought that this would be fun. All right. Okay, so jewelry theft is an incredibly lucrative part of some organized criminal rings with more than $100 million being stolen per year in the U.S. alone. And that was according to the uh, FBI.gov. So these criminal organizations tend to commit multiple kinds of different organized crime, and they also tend to operate in multiple locations. Okay. There are a few different ways that jewelry can be heisted, with the most popular being the grab-and-run method. As the name suggests, this is where the thief will walk into the store, ask to see the most expensive merchandise, and once it is out, the thief will snatch it and run. So, pretty self-explanatory. Okay. But also effective. I, I guess... According to the Jewelers Security Alliance, whose last crime report was from 2020, it showed that 581 incidents of jewelry theft were grab-and-run, with an average loss of $10,461. This report also indicated that the most popular day of the week for grab-and-run thefts was Thursday, with 108... Hmm, okay. And the most popular month was December, which really isn't surprising to me. You know what? I honestly would have thought it was February. Ooh, with Valentine's Day. That would make sense, too. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I saw the numbers slightly go up, like, in October and November, and then December was the highest. All right. So the number for December was 75. Hmm. And that's just the snatch, or yeah, the snatch, or the grab and run. I keep wanting to say snatch and grab, but it's the same thing. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> it sounds better. It does sound better. Um, other methods of theft include smash and grab, distraction, sneak, switch, and inside jobs. Okay, okay, I'm here for it. I also have to mention the use of violence and weapons during robberies, which has gone down slightly in 2020, with 21% and 32.4% of events happening respectively. So, violence and guns. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yes, the doggies are very... Uh, needy today. Very needy. I don't know what's up with them. <laughs> sorry, continue. Once the jewelry is stolen, the thief needs to sell it to make a profit. So this involves finding a fence, a person who sells stolen goods on behalf of the thief. Fences will travel either nationally or internationally to buy and sell stolen jewelry. I also feel when discussing jewelry theft, it's important to mention that the jewelry industry in itself is highly inflated. Well, very problematic. It's just a problematic industry that if I'm talking about jewelry, I feel like I should bring it up. Mm -hmm. So it's impossible not to mention the many human rights violations and the many ecological concerns that come from mining these gems and precious minerals. There's also marketing gear to drive up the price with brands claiming better craftsmanship and higher quality of materials that are used like in order to support their higher prices there's also a very successful campaign done in the 30s and 40s to make diamond engagement rings into a whole new level of demand which only helped fund the company's shareholders like until then it really wasn't a thing to get a diamond engagement ring but yeah 
then you know you created a demand for it and then they're able like especially when it started the price of diamonds were so low and now look at them mm-hmm. well and i was like even looking for mother's day um i was looking at necklaces just for shits and giggles and it was like lab made diamonds mm-hmm. are straight up more expensive than cruelty free diamonds which are then more expensive than just your dirty old diamond mm-hmm. and it's like how do you how do we justify this mm-hmm. well and it's also tif- difficult to uh, like bringing up cruelty free diamonds like unless you're really looking into the company that you're buying from it really comes down to tracing the origin of that diamond, what mine it came from, if it's a fair trade mine or if it's a fair mining company, then... Or if it's from a shell company that owns some sketchy business. Yeah, it's really difficult to say. So, like, all I will end that note with is, like, if you're in the market to buy jewelry, just really try to take the time look at either alternatives like maybe there's something homemade or like support local if you can Mm -hmm. or really look into the company that you're buying from Mm -hmm. so that's just my little psa no i totally agree yeah so now on to my case so this was actually a suggestion from my little sister so shout out to madeline that's so cute right she's so funny she's like you should cover this i'm like yes i can absolutely do that you know it's so funny she's like damn near an adult and my brain still sees her as like a five-year-old i know i know it's (laughs) it's really (laughs) mind-boggling but she suggested that i cover the pink panther organization okay yeah who came first the Pink Panther or the Pink Panther organization? We'll get to it. Oh, you actually got an answer for that? I actually did. That's wonderful. Yes. I'm ready. Okay. So, the Pink Panthers are a international jewel thief network known for their glamorous heists. There is an unknown amount of people a part of this group, but Interpol believes it is upwards of 60 members but there are several hundred more in their network. There is men and women involved in the Pink Panthers, with the majority of members being from Serbia, Montenegro, and the former Yugoslavia. There is also a documentary released in 2013 called Smash and Grab, and I wanted to watch it, but I truly did not have time this week. I will get around to it. But I did read an interview done by Havana Marking with The Guardian in the 2013, and I watched BuzzFeed and Salt for a lot of information regarding these crimes. I like it. Okay. Okay. So, the group's first robbery took place in 2003 in London. A well-dressed Serbian man named Nebroja Denik also, there's going to be a lot of European names, and I'm going to try my best. So, just heads up. <laughs> okay, I will brace myself. Okay. So, a well-dressed Serbian man named Nebroja Denik walked into a jewelry store called Graf's, located on Bond Street. Denik was wearing a smart jacket, and he had a pompadour wig on. Which, so like, think of like Elvis. Like, okay. Like, really obnoxious, just very obviously a wig. <laughs> okay. Okay. And this did not suit him at all. Why would you want to peacock yourself when you're... So, what the... Can you please do that every time you have a fun fact? <laughs> the snapping point. I'm here for it. Okay. So, it's a very, very common theme with this group of criminals is to, like, really either dress up or, like... There's a lot of disguises involved. Okay. So, even though this wig did not suit the hulking man, the store staff, who had helped celebrities such as, like, Oprah Winfrey, figured that he was probably, like, a rock star or a celebrity in disguise. While browsing a $450,000 12-carat ring... 
He stated that it was too glamorous and wanted to look at something smaller. Which seems strange. Mm-hmm. But surprisingly to the customers and staff of the jewelry store, Denick pulled out a gun, 357 Magnum, and told everyone to get on the floor. Hmm. As the people in the store were complying with the demand, another man named Perdreg Vushevic from Montenegro walked into the store carrying a hammer. With the hammer, Vushevic began smashing open the display cases and removed 47 pieces of jewelry valued at 23 million pounds. Holy shit. The two men exited the store, but a security guard was in pursuit. The guard managed to wrestle the with Denik for his gun, which actually went off and ricocheted and ended up grazing a woman. Oh. Like, she was just walking on the street. And... This poor woman. Said, well, yeah, on the plus side, it was just a graze, but still. Like, that. could you imagine if you were having a shitty day and then just... Shoot? I was shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd go home. Yeah, we're done with today. Yeah. Okay, so the guard ended up subduing Denick when Scotland Yard detective arrived on scene. A few days later, Scotland Yard found a third accomplice to the theft, a man named Milan Jovetic, maybe? Jovetic. Who organized the travel arrangements for the two men. With warrants, police were able to search the flat where Jovetic was staying with his girlfriend, Anna Stankovic. Okay. During the search, a detective opened a jar of face cream and found a blue diamond ring that had been stolen during the robbery. This ring was worth three quarters of a million dollars. Okay. When the word of the discovery got out, the press named this group the Pink Panthers after the movie, which was like released in 63-ish, where a similar trick was involved. More than 80% of the stolen jewelry has not been recovered, but it did result in the arrest of Denik and Yuvedic. So, doesn't jewelry all have, like, serial numbers on them? So, I actually don't have that in my notes, but I'm glad you brought that up, because yes, it does. So, what this group does is once the jewelry is stolen, they'll often, like, separate it from the metals, so it's just the diamonds, or, mm-hmm. like, whatever precious metal... And then they will take those gems or stones, I guess, to a professional, like somebody, a part of their network, who will laser off those serial numbers and, like, put new ones on them, like, disguising Hmm. those stones. Okay. Yeah. So then they're practically untraceable at that point. Holy shit. Yeah. Which, like, there's a reason why it's lucrative. Yeah. And then you got... Could you imagine having three quarters of a million dollars to spend on one ring? No. No. Even if I had that money, I don't think I could bring myself to spend it on something that I could lose, which would happen. This is true. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and like you see celebrities with like $2 million wedding rings and you're just like, huh, okay. I like, I don't know. Like, I... I would catch that on my door. Right? Break off. <laughs> yeah. No. I I understand, like, the need, like the human desire for, like, that status, I Shiny. guess. But I don't know if I could bring myself personally to do that. <laughs> I'd rather buy a house with I'd, that. I'd rather buy land. I'd rather go on a vacation. If Could you imagine having a $2 million vacation? Like in my dreams. Right? Yes. Much better than a ring. So now that we've covered the crime that gave this group their new name, let's talk about the few other thefts that the Pink Panthers have pulled off. So like it's gonna be like a bunch of like really short dives mm-hmm. into some of their crimes. So it is an extensive list with the group robbing 120 stores in 20 different countries in just a six-year time span. And, like, they're still operating today. I'm just, like, from what I had found originally, that's 
Like, the that's number. kind of impressive. It's incredibly impressive. Um, just saying, with like so few of this network being caught. Mm-hmm. The most common way this group conducts its thefts is by sending one person in as a distraction while other members follows in, smashing displays and gra- stuffing their bags with the jewels. There can be months of preparation that goes into planning a heist. Well-dressed, attractive women will do recon under the disguise of a customer, and like they'll give that information back. They like have to draw blueprints of the store. Like everything is meticulously planned. It would have to be. So there are some notable exceptions to this uh, smash and grab technique used with like the distraction and all that. So in 2001, the group robbed a jewelry store in Paris, France. Before they began the heist, they painted a bench outside the store to prevent any potential witnesses from viewing the crime. In 2003, a group of men used the distraction technique in Las Vegas. A man entered and immediately talked to a saleswoman about a piece of jewelry in the exterior display case outside of the store. Seconds after, a second man entered the store, claiming the attention of another saleswoman. Quickly after this, a pair of men entered the luxury jewelry store located in the Venetian's Grand Canal shops. So, like, that is... Bougie. Very bougie. The staff are too preoccupied to notice this pair standing beside a large display case, nor do they notice when they abruptly leave, with the second man leaving soon after. Around five minutes later, the first man leaves as well. It is then that the staff realize something is missing. Hmm. The Millennium Necklace. This is a piece made from platinum, black coral, and 2,000 diamonds valued at $1 million. Holy shit. Like, it was described as a wearable sculpture. Wow. Okay. Right? In 2004, two men in wigs entered the Mackie Diamond Store in Tokyo. They are shown the Comtesse de Vendôme necklace. It is a work of art made with 116 diamonds and with a 125-carat diamond featured in the center. Holy shit. It is valued at 24 million euros. As the salesperson bends over to look at a piece of paper that one of the men had like shown him, he is sprayed in the face with pepper spray. That's rude. It is rude. And I will say, like, from what I've seen, this is probably the most, like, violent they are towards another person. Well, that's good. Like, they definitely want to shock. They definitely want to scare people into complying. But there's not so much murder or... They're not here to hurt people. They're just here to steal. And make a scene. As yeah. they steal. <laughs> so, like, I will get, like, I will definitely say that for them. I think this is the most violent this case really gets towards another person. Coming from you, that's really good. I needed a refreshing <laughs> case, yeah. So, as I said, the salesman gets sprayed in the face with pepper spray, and the two men smashes the display case, snatches the necklace and other diamonds. The two men fled out of the store and got away on motorcycles. Security footage captured the theft, but the pair was never caught, and the Comtesse de Vendôme was never been recovered. Oh, this one's fun. At a Dubai shopping mall, two Audi S8s drove through the glass doors in 2007. Nice. The white Audi was the first to enter in reverse, and a second black Audi pulled in after. A man jumps out of the first car while a woman behind the wheel drives in reverse into the Graf jewelry store doors. Hmm. <laughs> Carrying guns and small pickaxes, the two men set to work systematically breaking the display cases open and grabbing the jewels inside. No one wants to get in their way, and the pair were quickly stealing $3.4 million dollars worth of jewels in minutes and we're talking like maybe three minutes 
I have a feeling that I've seen a video of that one. I was. That's my next note. Um, you can watch the entire entrance and the theft on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. So I think my question here is, A, why do they keep putting these multi-million dollar necklaces, jewelry, rings, whatever, in display cases? Not in, I don't know, locked vaults. So... I think that kind of goes back to, like, human pride and the status. Like, these, it would be like putting the Mona Lisa in a locked vault instead of having it out on display. Like, these... Yeah, but there's still, like, bulletproof glass. There's still smash-proof. I agree. Like, there's probably smarter ways to have it on display. Yeah. Like, better security. But this was also the early 2000s that these were all happening in, right? So, like... It was there, but maybe it wasn't so commonplace. Yeah. So, okay. That's my best answer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Either way, like, they know what they're doing. They are working with a system, so. Mm -hmm. And it's working. It is. There is also speculation if the Pink Panthers were behind the jewelry theft of Kim Kardashian in Paris in 2016. So that's one of, like... Like I said, they're still operating now, mm-hmm. but they're like, and I should say too, like these are not necessarily like confirmed. It's it's lots of speculation. These are all the same mo's. These are smash and grab, smash and grab. So back to Kim K. While staying in a hotel, at, sorry, while staying at Hotel de Portals in the penthouse suite. Kardashian faced a nightmare situation when a group of five men broke into her hotel room and held her at gunpoint. The gunmen tied her up, gagged her, and forced her into a bathtub. They they then proceeded to raid her room of all of her valuables, totaling $9 million. Holy shit. So as I said, this is speculation, but there is a lot of resemblance to the other Pink Panther crimes, including the need for shock and awe, well-planned thievery and the use of disguises Mm -hmm. that's a really interesting connection it is and there's like mostly mainly target jewelry stores but there's like a lot of instances as well of um private collections being stolen from as well Mm -hmm. yeah the group doesn't limit itself to just jewelry thefts as well in 2008 the group hit a museum in zurich switzerland and stole multiple paintings, including a Cezanne, a Monet, a Degas, and a Van Gogh, valued at $163 million. I don't get that one. Because diamonds, you can erase the serial number, resell it. Paintings are a lot harder. Well, on the plus side, the paintings have since been recovered, with the last one being found in Serbia. So, I totally understand what you mean. Like, it's... I feel with art theft, unless you have a buyer in mind, it's very difficult to move. But even if that buyer wants it, if that buyer is caught with it... Mm-hmm. You're fucked. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. Like, I totally want to cover art theft crimes like it's really really interesting and like the amount of forgeries that are in place of real art Mm -hmm. so like it's super interesting and i'd like to cover it one day but totally comparing art theft to jewelry theft like jewelry theft is definitely a hundred percent more lucrative especially when you've got this network that operates this well with military precision yeah right totally so they, I guess maybe they just wanted to uh, expand their portfolio. Maybe they had a buyer. Well, maybe they also just wanted a change. Like, jewelry theft is obviously too easy for them. <laughs> Let's kick it up a notch. Do you want to start robbing uh, jewelry stores? <laughs> no, not even a little bit. Like, I don't even know where I'd begin. <laughs> you need a balaclava, a hammer, and an Audi. And so. a bad wig. Yes, yes, we need a bad wig. Okay. <laughs> So these are just some of the many robberies and thefts that the Pink Panthers have done. 
There's also been instances of getting away on speedboats after robbing a jewelry store while wearing floral t-shirts in San Tropez. In Paris in 2008, a group of four disguised themselves as women during a robbery. If you have valuables such as jewelry and art worth millions of dollars lying around, it could be beneficial to double-check your security. Mm -hmm. You know what? This does seem like it would be a fun job. Until you got caught. Until you get... Well, <laughs> funny you should mention that. There have been multiple arrests made with connections to the Pink Panthers, including that of Serbian Dragon Mykic, who was on Interpol's most wanted list. Although not confirmed, it was believed that Dragon was high up in the Panthers. In 2005, while being held in the Villefonds de Senon Remand Center in France, Mike was walking outside for exercise time. A van pulled up alongside the prison wall and opened fire on the guard towers with automatic weapons. During the confusion, two of Dragon's associates were able to put ladders up against the side of the prison wall, toss over wire cutters, and an additional ladder, which Dragon used to make his escape. Hmm. So they're tight. They are. Dragon has not been found since. And this wasn't even, like, there was, there's been multiple escapes from, like, prison breakouts with connections to the Pink Panthers as well. So even if they get caught, there's always a chance. Hmm. So. You know what? They steal diamonds. Right? I I would rather a diamond thief be on the loose, especially me and my not the 1%, <laughs> than a murderer. Mm-hmm. Personally. Mm-hmm. But that is amazing. Right? What could their motivations be for these jewelry thefts other than like greed or you know adrenaline yeah it is believed that due to the meticulous way that these crimes are planned it is due to members being retired military from the former yugoslavia like there's a whole bunch of wars that took place there um like their cities are pretty much decimated in some parts and like they haven't there's really been no like reparations either there's been no plans to help rebuild and there's been sanctions placed on those countries so their economy has crashed Mm -hmm. it's really easy to see in that situation why crime would be the next alternative because like you start small you're bringing in like food and like just stable items pretty much you're just bringing that in so if you're already doing that why not kick it up a notch? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And especially when the Panthers are very good at it. Some hail this group as modern-day Robin Hoods, <laughs> stealing from the rich and bringing that money back home. This idea has actually gotten um, some different news outlets in trouble in the past, as Interpol does not want sympathetic narratives given to this group. So, like, there's actually been, like, a few different big outlets that have gotten in a lot of trouble for their interesting sympathetic narrative. Hmm. Yeah. Well, either way, the Pink Panthers have style. That's undoubtable. And with being one of the most successful jewel thieves in the past 25 years, I don't think that they're going to be stopped anytime soon. It's impressive. It is. That is wild. Right? I was fascinated. It was such a good suggestion. So, like, if there's any cases you want me to cover, like, email me at seeforcreepy at gmail.com and just in the subject line put a lease or crime. And I would totally, I would be very happy to look into those and cover some. Yeah, that would be amazing. Because these are the ones, little... Oh, that was still a long one. But these ones are so refreshing. They are. And, like, I guess you would say that I pick some pretty dark crimes. So, like, if you ever want me to mix it up, like, my my go-to is darkness. So. <laughs> Fair. Well, thank you so much, Elise. That was such a great story. I had fun researching that one. Okay, so what is your J? We are doing the Jerome Grand Hotel. 
Oh. Have you ever heard of it? No, I haven't. Okay. So, today we are going to the revived copper mining ghost town of Jerome, Arizona. Oh. Uh, I, okay. I definitely enjoy a mining town in Arizona. That sounds very nice. Sounds very hot. <laughs> well, hot, yeah, but you know, you can go there for a little bit for your desert theme and you come back. Actually, I think this um, town would be super cool, but we'll get there. Cool. So, Jerome is an artist and tourist's community of about 400 residents. But that has not always been the case. Oh. That's why I think it would be like super cool is it's just an artsy touristy place. That sounds super cool. Mm-hmm. During its prosperous copper mining years, the town homed 15,000 residents and was filled with vices that earned it the nickname, the wickedest city in the West. <laughs> by a New York newspaper. That's great. During those days, people died in mining accidents, gunfires, overdosed on opium, and several other unnatural events. Mm, that's less great. I yeah. see why it is the most wicked place in the West. Yeah. So, perched above downtown Jerome, high up on Cleopatra Hill is the Jerome Grand Hotel. This building served as the United Verde Hospital, a 30,000 square foot hospital, which opened in 1926. Constructed by the United Verde Copper Company for its many employees and their families, the hospital was a much-needed facility in a town that had gone that had grown to a population of 15,000 people. Wow. So it slowed down because the mining ended, right? Like Yeah. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. It was the highest structure in the Verde Valley and was the last major building constructed in Jerome. Mm -hmm. It was the highest structure in the Verde Valley and was the last major building constructed in Jerome. Built to last, the structure was a fireproof design and could withstand the many nearby mining blasts. Even by today's standard, the building was an engineering marvel. That's super interesting, especially because it was built in, you said... Uh, 1926. That's so... like, It blows my mind what people could have called... Like, I get that that's like not... It's less than 100 years ago, but still... People were able to do some marvelous things. Mm -hmm. I agree. So, as it was constructed on a 50-degree slope. Ooh, that's steep. Yeah, so you gotta think it's fireproof, blastproof, and built on a slope. See, I, I would enjoy building into a slope, but not on it. <laughs> right? The hospital was also equipped with the Otis Elevator, which was Arizona's first self-service elevator and was installed in the united verde hospital in 1926 so it was installed when it um was built mm -hmm. it served all five levels of the building the elevator is regularly maintained and inspected ensuring safety for public use good the otis elevator is different from modern elevators because it is designed for hospital use it travels much more slowly and the Otis elevator is narrow and deep, designed for hospital equipment such as gurneys. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. But I do not enjoy a slow elevator. No. No, that just... Ooh. Get me to my floor fast. If I wanted to go slow, I would just walk. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't write it in here, but if I remember correctly, it was like an eighth of the speed of a regular elevator oh that's just so, wow you can go on your own but it's so <laughs> yeah yeah so by 1930 the five-story spanish mission style building and its facilities were written up as one of the most modern and well-equipped hospitals in arizona awesome but when the great depression hit shortly after conditions at united verde took a sharp downturn uh-oh even in its earliest years, the hospital staff recounted stories of unexplained phantom footsteps and mysterious figures. Wow. You gotta think, like, how many people died there just because it was a hospital? That's true, yeah. Yeah. Um, all told, an estimated 9,000 people would meet their demise there. Mm. 
Like the copper company itself, the hospital couldn't survive once the copper deposits dried up. Makes sense. The townspeople moved on to other opportunities and the hospital closed in 1950. You know, considering that it was a mining town, like, at least they had a hospital built there. Like, Mm -hmm. lots of them don't even make it that long. Yeah. Um, uh, That's actually kind of funny. We were both kind of talking about mining. A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) It's a stretch, but yes. Yeah, that's just a weird coincidence. (laughs) We're on the same wavelength. We are. (laughs) So, for the next 44 years, it stood abandoned. However, until 1971, it continued to be maintained just in case it was needed in an emergency. Oh. Which is pretty smart. That is. Then for the next two decades, it sat silent and neglected. Oh, But in 1994, the building was purchased by the Alther family from the Phelps Dodge Mining Corporation. Oh, so Anther family bought it from the corporation. Okay. And the restoration to its current glory as the Jerome Grand Hotel began. All effort was given to maintain the interior and exterior integrity of this historic building. And in 1996, it reopened as the the Jerome Grand Hotel. The, oh... I don't know. I don't know about that. I, I just... I okay, I found out today they're building townhouses at the Charles Cancel Hospital, so... Oh, I don't know. Like, hospitals should just not be hotels, or, like, you shouldn't be able to stay. It should be a nice memorial park. Something, yeah. Let the spirits be. Yes. Oh, well. <laughs> oh. So... During its hospital days, many deaths occurred from illness and injury, but also some rather suspicious in origin. Ooh. Like that of maintenance man Claude Harvey. Claude was found pinned by the back of the neck by the elevator. Quite dead. What? Mm Mm-hmm. A thorough inspection of the elevator was done, as well as a coroner's inquest that determined the elevator could not have caused Claude's death. No autopsy was allowed to be performed, nor x-rays taken, as United Verde Copper Company, who owned the building, did not want suspicion pointing in their direction as accident or intent. Well, I mean, this you said it went the eighth of the speed of a regular elevator. You literally would have seen it coming. Like, yeah. And had lots of time. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no. Poor guy. Yeah. Claude is the only death in the hospital whose cause has yet to be determined. Speculation is, Mr. Harvey was murdered and his body was placed in the elevator room, with his head hanging over the elevator shaft to look like an accident. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Almost immediately after his death, strange occurrences began in the hospital, in the building. Oh, you know, sorry to cut you off there. Um, But if you were going to kill someone that was you could guarantee would come back to haunt. It would be the maintenance man of the person, like, of the place that he worked. Of course he's going to come back. And what's worse is he knows all the tricks of the place. Like, he's going to fuck everything up. Right. (laughs) I know. So, almost immediately after his death, strange occurrences began in the building, especially in and around the elevator. Hmm. Lights in the elevator shaft have been seen, and the sound of the creaking elevator has long been heard, even when the building was vacant with no power. Even today, when it's unused. Ew. Only one other death was known since the hospital closed in 1950, and it is that of Manoa Hofpar, a local man hired by Phelps Dodge Mining Company to be a presence in the vacant building. Hoping to offset the years of vandalism, Manoa was found hanging from a steam pipe in the engineer's office where he resided while serving as a caretaker. Oh. His death in 1982 was ruled a suicide. Aww. Oh, that's too bad. That's strange, though. Like, both suspicious deaths have to do with people that are trying to take care of this building. Mm-hmm. That's just very suspicious. I agree. So, now on to some of the hauntings. You ready for it? Yes. Due to the high level of activity in the hotel, it is quite a popular destination for amateur ghost hunters. But due to the extreme privacy of the hotel, 
wishes to provide its guests. Private tours have been discontinued and no one other than registered guests and staff are permitted on the guest floors. What? Well, I guess guest floors. That makes sense. Yeah. Like, you can but still go into the lobby. You can still go into the restaurant. You just can't go on the guest floors, which... That, that makes sense. Yeah. I can respect that. Yeah. <clears throat> Could you imagine going for ice and there's just, like, 15 ghost hunters being like, I see the ectoplasm. And you're just like... I'm in my robe, people. I'm too hungover for this shit. <laughs> or I'm just like, get away from the ice machine. <laughs> right? So... Guests that have stayed at the hotel reported hearing coughing, labored breathing. Some presume this to be from patients who have had tuberculosis, which was a common ailment at the time. Makes sense. And even voices coming from empty rooms. Guests have also reported smells coming from rooms, such as flowers, dust, cigar smoke, and whiskey. Okay, so the first two are understandable, but... (laughs) Cigar smoke and whiskey. Yeah. Others report light anomalies and television sets turning themselves on and off. <laughs> Many have heard and seen what appears to be a four or five year old child running down the hallway on the third floor. Ew, no. Sometimes crying or laughing. Ooh. This child also likes to appear at the foot of the bed in various rooms, just staring at the bed's occupants. Oh, fuck. No, child. No, go find your ghost mother. Stop staring at me. Frequently, the sounds of giggling and running occurs on the top floor as though children are at play. Not if, where is the ghost daycare? Like, I've got a complaint. <laughs> it gets better. <laughs> sounds of a newborn baby's cry is common on the third and fourth floors, as well as the faint smell of baby powder. The baby's crying has alerted enough guests that they phone the front desk out of concern. The location is always a vacant room. Oh, that is really spooky. Right? Can you imagine being the desk clerk being like, I know, it's good. Go back to sleep. There is no baby. I don't know if I would lie to them or tell them the truth. Mm, I guess it would depend on what the hotel policy policy was. Yeah. Because, like, you get some haunted buildings that are like, no, you have to deny everything. Mm -hmm. So... Ooh, that's a tough one, though. Yeah. Guests frequently report bedside table lamps and televisions being unplugged, shampoo bottles rolling across the floor or flying across the room. Oh, flying? Ooh, I don't like that. Yeah. The sound of doors opening and closing while the room is vacant are common. Guests have found their electronics dead center beneath the bed. Oh, Oh, that is freaky. That is gross. That That's so intentional. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Front desk staff, particularly the graveyard shift, have reported hearing coughing and sneezing from hotel's laundry room. <laughs> Seeing shadows in the same area of whom they believe to be Claude Harvey, the hospital's maintenance man who was found dead in 1935, pinned beneath the elevator. They see and hear Claude roaming the stairwells and the boiler room as though still at work. Aww. These poor guys, they just have to work forever. I I feel so, like, that's just so sad for them. Mm-hmm. Others have claimed to see the figure of a shadowy man in the basement on the stairs. Oh, that is eerie. And near the elevator. The spectral man has been described as appearing furious. Others have felt an angry presence. Ooh. Right. Guests have also seen the ghost of two hospital employees and patient roaming the halls. Okay, that's another good point about these hospitals being converted. Is like a hospital wear is very distinct. Mm-hmm. Like it's very easy to tell if something is or someone is out of place. Oh. A male doctor carrying a clipboard, mm-hmm. a female nurse, and a female patient in a gown have also been seen wandering together in the halls. That, yeah, see, that's not right. That's not where you're... So- this is a hotel now. <laughs> right? Staff and guests have heard and felt a cat brushing against their legs and snuggling against them while on the bed. Most notable and commonplace is the imprint on the bedding of what is believed to be a cat curled up. Aww. That bedding moments earlier was smooth and straight. Ghost cats are okay. 
A photo provided by a guest staying in room 20 in 2008 shows a cat very clearly sitting on a side table. Ah! That is so cool. I would love a ghost cat. That's, right? That'd that's be cool. So sweet. No well, cat poop, but you still get the cat. No cat fur everywhere. Right? Oh, Win-win. The, yes. So general manager Chris Alther, whose father and uncle bought the boarded up 30,000 square foot building in 1994, said they were skeptical and didn't believe it in the beginning. They only had six rooms open at first and immediately began receiving reports of guests hearing voices and hospital gurneys in the hallway. Hmm. He also noted ghostly figures, sounds, unexplained orbs of light, and other paranormal activity that permeates the halls. He once received a phone call from the front desk from an unoccupied room hearing a lady say something, but it was inaudible. He then called the room back and there was no answer. He walked up to the room and the room was vacant. Oh, no. Mm -mm. He then went on to say the room that receives the most comments is room number 32. It's a former hospital guest room with a balcony and the site of two possible suicides. One former minor confined to a wheelchair reportedly climbed over the balcony railing to his death and a businessman shot himself there. That's interesting that they would have designed a balcony for a hospital. I don't think I've seen very many modern hospitals no. that have that. No. That's, oh. Maybe that's why. <laughs> that would be a very good reason. Oh. He then went on to say, we have the real deal up here. It's not just a gimmick. And we acknowledge it. That, okay, I totally want to stay here. Right? From what I looked like, from what I looked at, it's actually, like, quite pricey. Oh, it would be. Well, especially if they're really leaning into the ghosts, it it would be quite the hot spot. Yeah. While the Jerome Grand was still abandoned, two separate psychics caught on to a ghost who claimed to be the head nurse or nurse in charge who seemed to hang out in what is now the restaurant and lounge area of the hotel. This area was originally the dispensary and main entrance of the hospital. The head nurse was distraught with the removal of the original dispensary desks when the new owner moved the desks back into the lounge. Another psychic came in and confirmed that the head nurse was pleased and hasn't made any complaints since. Wow. Oh, that's freaky. Various sightings of a bearded man appear on several different floors and happens all the time. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. Some sounds of phantom footsteps going up and down the stairs and the hallways. Objects inexplicably moving on their own will. Electrical appliances that turn themselves on and off. Many of these bizarre happenings occur before the housekeeping staff, who have seemingly become favorite targets of the ghosts. Aww. Sometimes hearing their names being called out by phantom voices. However, they say that the ghosts are accommodating enough as when they ask them to stop, they do. At least for a few days. Oh, well, that's something, I guess. I don't like how they know their names i don't enjoy that like that shows that they're sentient ghosts right like they're not just uh like residual hauntings they're they know what they're about yeah the hotel lobby is an active place for many spirits here the lobby doors have often been seen opening and closing by themselves like someone is arriving or leaving Chairs have been rearranged while desk clerks turn their backs. Items have been flown off the shelves in the gift shop. Again with the flying. I know. As well as from the walls in the lobby. The lobby desk has also received several phone calls from empty rooms. I know. No, no, no. They should just start unplugging the phones if nobody is staying in there. Just like housekeeping, just unplug it. But then would it be even creepier if you still got the call? Well, that way at least, like, you couldn't blame it on, like, oh, there's an electricity bra. I don't know. Like, there's no justification for that. (laughs) Yeah. So, near the old 1926 elevator, which is still operational, a finely dressed elderly woman in white has often been spotted. Mm -hmm. When the owner moved in and started work in 1994... And said that during the first month, there seemed to be an overcast of uncertainty. 
It was a feeling that your presence was in question. Oh. Not sure if you were welcomed or not. In the second month, the feeling started to relax. And then one day during the second month, it totally went away. During the following months, there became a feeling of a protective nature. The owner is not into hauntings nor ghost stories, but said the spirits are happy. That's, and he's happy. That's so interesting. Yeah. And there was also an episode done from Paranormal Zach Baggins. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> Ghost Adventures. Ghost Adventures, yes. Um, so he did an episode on this one, and it was really good. Cool. They actually included a touch sensor jacket oh. that lit up. It was really cool. That is so cool. I would suggest watching it. Sounds good. So that is the story of the Jerome Grand Hotel. And my references was jeromegrandhotel.net, Wikipedia, thrillist.com, azcentral.com, 12news.com, phoenixxghost.com, onlyinyourstate.com, and legendsofamerica.com. That was super interesting. I'm so glad you covered that. Thank you. It was really cool. I actually watched quite a few YouTube videos on it, and it was really good. Awesome. Okay, so that wraps us up for Jay Stories. Yes, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for listening to last week's episode of our April Nocturnal Novellas. Yep. And um, be sure to tune in next week for our K episode. Yep. Yeah, we're really making our way through the alphabet. Like, it's kind of crazy how I know much it's... this is going. Like, we're already at K. <laughs> I trust me. I know. Every week, I'm like, okay, we're at like I, and it's like, no, we're not at I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to See Is for Creepy. We put out weekly episodes every Tuesday going through the creepy alphabet. Check out our website at acast.com slash C is for creepy. Or on Facebook at C is for creepy podcast. Or on Instagram at C for creepy podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, or suggestions, please email us at C for creepy at gmail.com. Artwork done by Alexis Daly. Check out her work at L-E-X-X-A underscore artwork on Instagram. See you next week. Bye.